Good morning. I'd like to welcome you back to another edition of our Anchored in the Word Morning Reflection. And uh, today I'm I'm wearing our new Anchor Baptist polos. This is uh, the polo that um, some of us were wearing at the Lit Conference and uh, really excited about uh, getting these. These are actually mostly for the teenagers who are going to be doing Bible quizzing uh, coming um, a little bit after Christmas into the springtime period. But um, if you joined us yesterday, you'll know that we started looking at Matthew chapter 1, and this is the genealogy of Christ, and the genealogy of Christ is uh, looking at uh, his lineage through his, uh, not father, but his guardian Joseph. And so um, when we look at Luke, Luke at, looks at the genealogy of Christ through his mother Mary. And th the piece I'd like us to focus on this morning are the names of several ladies who are mentioned in this passage of scripture. And their names are unique because typically when uh, you were looking at Jewish genealogies, you would have looked at the father's name, not the mother's name. And what's also unique about it is that the stories of these ladies' lives, in fact, they're not the typical stories that you'd want to talk about when you talk about your family's history. And so let's read the text together. It's Matthew chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse <coughs> number 1. We'll go down to verse 6, and then we'll read a little bit beyond that. It says, The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar. And Pharaoh begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nassan, and Nassan begat Solomon. And Solomon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. It says in verse 16, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, each of these, uh, these names that we find in the genealogy are men. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judas. We have uh, Aram and Aminadab and Nassan and Solomon and Boaz and Obed and Jesse and David and Solomon. We have the names of fathers. But there are four breaks from that typical pattern. And the first of those names was the name of someone named Tamar. Now, I mentioned this on Sunday when we were looking at this passage. I didn't get into the details, but if you really want to know the details of this story, it's a tragic story. It's a terrible story from the history of Israel, and that is in, found in Genesis 38. But basically, it was one of the lowest points in a family that was filled with tension and drama and difficulties. Um, when, when this man, Judah, decides to uh, have a child, well, he wasn't intending to have a child, i put it that way, um, the, the, the result of that through Tamar is going to be one of the children who is going to be in the lineage of Christ. Um, we also come to a second name, and that second name is Rahab. 
And when we talk about Rahab's life, we have to recognize that Rahab was someone who grew up in a city that was filled with pagan idolatry. Out of all the cities that are mentioned in Canaan, when the nation of Israel was led into Canaan by God, he's going to give them the land. The very first city, the one that was going to be completely destroyed, was the city that this woman Rahab is from. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Now, what's what's sad and also very true is that this woman Tamar was someone who pretended to be a harlot, and that is ultimately how uh, she brought a child into the world. And this woman, woman uh, Rahab, was not a harlot. She was someone who ended up getting married later, but that was what she was doing when she met the spies. These are people that you wouldn't have wanted their names in your storyline. Or knowing that their names are in your storyline, you wouldn't talk about them. Families would have been quiet about them. These were people that uh, would have brought stigmatization on the families. Yet their names are highlighted in the text in front of us. Then we have the story of Ruth. Now, Ruth is a much uh, rosier story than uh, Tamar and Rahab, but there's also a lot of tragedy in the story of Ruth. When we look at the story of Ruth, we see a woman who is a Moabite. And the reason that she comes in contact with, with Naomi and her family is because Naomi's family left uh, Israel and they went to Moab because they were fleeing a famine. And there in, in, in the land, they decided to stay. And their two boys married Moabite women, which would have been a violation of the custom and a, a violation of the command, not because they were Gentiles, but because they were idolaters. And we can really see this in Ruth chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, because this is what it says when Naomi has decided she's going back to, uh, back to Bethlehem and leaving Moab as now a widow whose two sons have died. Her daughter-in-laws wanted to go with her because they loved her. And this is what she said to Ruth. Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following thee. For where thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Now, the story of Tamar and the story of Rahab is, 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 is certainly uh, something that would not have been wanted to be talked about in those families. But really the story of Ruth is sad too, because she is a widow. She is also someone who's being told to go back to her idols. She is, is in this story because of ultimately the sin of a family leaving Israel and going into Moab and then planting themselves there and intermarrying with, with the Gentile idolaters of that community. But the worst of all of these stories is not these three, but it's the fourth, and that is the story of Bathsheba. This story is one that was the darkest and the most terrifying, well, terrible story from the life of David. It is, it is the darkest moment in his, in his life. It is the greatest abuse of David's power. And ultimately, David deserved to die because he had committed the sin of not just adultery, but also murder. 
David was the one who was supposed to maintain law and order and point people to God, yet he is violating the law in the most egregious of ways, egregious of ways. And we see this come to a head in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. Nathan the prophet said to David, he said, you are the man that I'm talking about in this parable. And he says, thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. Now, what do all of these stories have in common? What they have in common is that people sinned. And people sinned grievously. And when people sinned grievously, their lives became very messy, very complicated, and a lot of pain and unnecessary sorrow came into the story as a direct result of their sinful choices. You know what they also have in common? What they have in common is though they sinned and though they suffered and though they experienced a lot of hardship, we see that God still chose to continue to work his plan, and he actually used these people in the accomplishment of his plan. Now, that does not say that God caused them to sin, okay? When, when, when David decided to take Bathsheba, or when Judah decided to take Tamar, or when Ruth's husband or father-in-law decided to take his family out of Bethlehem down to Moab, and those boys decided to marry Gentile idolaters. Those were sinful choices. They were fully responsible for those decisions, and the consequences that flowed from those decisions were the direct result of their sinful choices. Yet at the same time, we see the grace of God and his mercy and his compassion. He was still kind to these people, and he still kept his plan in place. But out of all of these people, the one that perhaps is the most unique is the one who was not in this position because of her sinful choices, but she was in this position because of the sinful choices of humanity. And we could say that the reason that Christ had to come to the world is because of the sin of Adam, the very first man. And the reason that Mary had to be in the position that she was is because God promised in Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And so when we think of the story of Mary, Mary was someone who is going to have to live with the stigmatization of the assumption that she had been an unfaithful woman before she got married, or she had been involved in relations with the man she married before they were officially married, and that would have brought, brought tremendous uh, uh, ire from the people around her. There's also another side to this, not only the side where she would have been assumed to have been unfaithful, and Joseph decided to not make an example of her and to not put her away as the angel told him to keep her, but there's also a side where she's going to experience the sorrow and the pain of watching the Lord Jesus Christ die on the cross. And this is stated in Luke chapter 2, verse 33, when Simeon is talking to Mary and to Joseph. This is what he says. And Joseph and his mother 
marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, the child is set before for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken again. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of the hearts of many may be revealed. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Mary, you're going to experience pain because this is your child because the sorrow that he will experience that is going to be a necessary part of establishing a basis for redemption, that sorrow is something you will participate in in some way because you will see your son, your child, the one who you rocked when, it, when he was just a little baby, you're going to see him die on the cross. And that's what he's talking about. Well, the fact is that all of these things remind us we live in a broken world. By one man, sin entered the world and death by sin, and death passed on all men, for that all have sinned. And so you say, well, well Joel, what do you take away from this? What are, your, what are your thoughts? What is the encouragement out of this? Well, the first thing I have to say is this. While we are grieved by sin, and we are grieved by the sorrows and the pains that we experience in life, we should not be shocked by these things. We should recognize this is something that we will experience in a fallen world. But, but alongside of that reality, we should remember that our experience is not entirely unique to anybody in history. The fact is the things that we experience on a daily basis, our dark moments, our painful moments, our terrifying moments, those are moments that as we look through history, especially the Bible, we will see people who have experienced the same kinds of issues on the most fundamental level. And you say, well, where's the positive in that? The positive is this. In the lives of those people, we see testimonies of God's grace, and we see testimonies of God's work despite the terrible circumstances people find themselves in. And we see God work through circumstances that only he could turn to cause to bring good. I think of the example of Joseph. Joseph was nearly killed by his brothers, and when they chose not to kill him, they sold him as a slave. And then Joseph was lied about by Potiphar's wife, and Joseph was mistreated, and Joseph ended up in the prison, and Joseph was forgotten in the prison. But by the end of the story, God brought Joseph to a position of great power and authority in Egypt. And when Joseph had the opportunity to get even with his brothers, which is something that pretty much anyone in his position would have done, you know what he did? He refrained. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The intention behind your actions was evil. The reason God permitted it was to bring about good. That's what he's saying. And so when we think about the brokenness of this world, we have to remember alongside of it, the immense grace of God, his power and his ability to work through circumstances to accomplish good. My prayer is that that will be an encouragement to you this morning. If this has encouraged you, please take a moment to share that, perhaps share some feedback. Lord willing, tomorrow we'll continue with our series. Bye now.